Today's video was recorded on September 20th, 2022, and we're going to be getting back into the book of Exodus. So in June of 2022, we took a break from the book of Exodus and we did a summer series on the transfiguration of Jesus. Now that series ended up being seven lessons long, and that included a summary video at the end. So if you haven't seen that, make sure you check that out. But we're now back into the book of Exodus, and in today's lesson, what we're going to do is begin with a review of the book of Exodus, so that'll get us back into the mindset of what the overall goal of the book is, which happens to be the presence of God dwelling with his people. And then from there, we'll explore the section of Exodus that scholars call the book of the covenant. And the book of the covenant is Exodus 21 through 23, and that contains a list of commandments. And the end result of this lesson is to make sure that we're reading those commandments through the proper lens. And that proper lens is the one that helps achieve the goal of a community or a society where the presence of God can dwell. That goal is to create a just community where individuals act responsibly towards others. That responsibility is what our Bible calls righteousness, and that the community becomes a place for humanity to flourish and the presence of God to dwell. And when we can view these commands through that proper lens, we can see how they're even reflected in our modern laws and how the same principles of justice and responsibility towards others absolutely apply to us as modern Christians. So hopefully the lesson will help you see through a slightly different lens than we tend to read the Old Testament. At least that's my goal. And also don't forget that we have a class handout to help you with your studies. And you can find a link directly to that PDF in the description section below. And the handout is intended to help you take notes, organize your thoughts, keep track as we're going along through. Plus, I have footnotes that may help you go look in other places that might not be mentioned in the lesson itself. So we hope you enjoy this lesson on Exodus and the importance of building a community where the presence of God can dwell. We're still in Exodus. The last thing we did was part 20, that was last June, and that one uh, was about the Ten Commandments. This is going to be Exodus part 21. So our painting is Jean-Léon Jerome, Moses on Mount Sinai, painted around the year 1900. And the last time I had this up, we were talking about those things pointing out of his head. And that's the reason that they paint those things that look like light beams or even horns is because there was a mistranslation from the Hebrew into Latin. And where it says that Moses radiated light, in Latin it said he had horns on his face. And so what you get is statues of Moses with horns on his face, but it was supposed to be radiating light. And that was a, it's a weird... Uh, mistake that Jerome made. So anyways, that's where you, why it looks like Moses had light, has light coming out of his head. Okay, so today we're going to do a review of the book of Exodus. That will bring everybody up to speed. And then we're going to talk about how the commandments inside of Exodus 
are really much more about building the structure of a society. And that may sound a little bit odd to our Western ears, but hopefully you'll be able to see that by the time we're done. So as way of preview today, just to say, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to review the story of Exodus. We want to look at the overall structure of Exodus. So we tend to read Exodus in chunks. Say we read about the Pharaoh here or the Red Sea here or Mount Sinai there. And then especially after you get after you get past the 10 commandments, you know, we stop paying attention to the tabernacle. That's painful to read twice. You know, maybe we read in Exodus 34 when God passes in front of Moses. But our tendency is we kind of read Exodus in silos. But if we watch the entire movement of the book from beginning to end, how does it flow? There's actually a cohesive narrative and a goal. And that goal is the presence of God. So if you were to, don't turn there now, but if you were to open up Exodus 40, which is the last chapter, and the final two paragraphs of chapter 40, what you find is the tabernacle is built. Once they built that space for God, boom, his presence dwells intensely. That's what God wants. He wants to dwell with his people. That's the goal of Exodus. So that's kind of like the New Testament, the Pentecost event in Acts chapter 2. So that one is now the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within the church. God wants to dwell with his people. So that's basically the movement. And well, I'll show you that today. And so then what happens is we're in a space within Exodus that has a bunch of commandments. And it's Exodus chapters 21 to 23, so just after the Ten Commandments, what the scholars call the Book of the Covenant. And what we notice about this is the commandments are tending towards the goal. They're, they're pointing us towards the goal. They're not so much only for an individual, but they're for us, plural, the community, a society. How do you structure a society for the presence of God to dwell, just at the, like the very end of Exodus? And so even if you remember, back in June, we looked at the structure of the Ten Commandments and how uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, his proposal was that they may be intentionally structured in order to show how you structure a good and just and decent society for human beings to flourish and the presence of God to dwell. And of course, the basic unit of society is an individual. So yes, there are individual responsibilities, but there may be even a greater purpose to say, how do we structure our society? And I think you'll see some of that today and then next week as we look at some of these commandments. Uh, because in the West here, we're just very individualistic. We tend to think only as individuals. So that's what we're going to do. We'll, we'll review the story, and then we'll look at some of the uh, Exodus 21 to 23, those chapters, and just talk about the communal aspect of it, the, the, for the nation of Israel, and then it would be for our nation as well. So, okay, that was, that's our preview. Uh, let's do a little bit of a Exodus review. 
So we did 20 lessons, and I'm going to collapse it into about 15 minutes here, God willing. Um, but the book of Exodus starts, right? Just think big picture. The book of Exodus begins with slaves. The, the Israelites went down to Egypt. They become slaves to the pharaohs. There's a, there's a process that goes into that, but it begins with slavery. And we say, okay, well, what, how does the book end? Well, like I just mentioned, if you go to chapter 40, right at the end of Exodus, what do we find? Well, you find the presence of God dwelling intensely with the nation of Israel. Now, it took them a couple tries to get the space created. There's the golden calf incident in there. But when they finally got that space for God, boom, God's presence fills it. So really, the whole scope of the book of Exodus goes like this. It goes from slavery to the presence of God. That's the movement of Exodus, a journey, really, from slavery to the presence of God. And one thing that's important to note is that God saves, or God delivers, or God rescues, whatever term you want to use, he does that first. That's what we call grace. So they cry out to God, we're slaves. He doesn't say, get your act together, become a holy people, and then I'll deliver you. The moment they cry out to God, he says, okay, and he delivers them. Then comes the process of adopting a new way of life, a covenant relationship, getting rid of your sin, going through a process of sanctification. That happens after deliverance. And that's the same picture that we see with a Christian journey. Someone goes from, I was blind, but now I see, and I have to go through now the process of, of uh, getting my act together. And what the culture and the Bible call this is redemption. Now, culturally, redemption is the father bringing someone back into the rightful place in the father's house. So you hear that language from John. I go to my father's house. There are many rooms, and I will bring you there. That's, that's redemption language from the culture. God wants to redeem us out of the slavery back into his presence. And he wants to do that not only individually, but as a community. Now, if we look at what's happening here, the very end of that journey is the creating the space for God. And then I'll compare that to, the, to what was happening in Egypt. But this is a very important thing to think about, even as, as Christians, how are we creating a space for God to fill? Because all throughout the Bible, when, you, when human beings create a space for God to fill, he does it. So there's kind of a, if you were like, what's the point of Exodus? Create a space for God. He'll fill it. So what's the space? Well, physically, they create the tabernacle. 15 chapters from chapter 25 to 40. Painful to read twice. How do, you, how do the community come together to build the tabernacle? When it's built, God fills it. So there's a, there's a physical space, and we could say our church becomes a sacred space for God's presence. There's spiritual space within our own lives. Don't have any other gods before me. And then really important is to notice that God wants to institute time, a sacred 
period of time for you and I to dwell together. That's called a Sabbath is one, to each week have a, have a Sabbath with God, a sacred space. And then we'll see, I think it's in chapter 20, Exodus 23, God institutes some holidays. Hey, I'm going to appoint some holidays on the, on the calendar, and I'm waiting for you to get together with me so we can spend some time together. So it's sacred time. By the way, next Monday night, or next Monday, Rosh Hashanah, that's the, that's the New Year holiday, the Festival of Trumpets. So if Jesus comes back next Monday night, we might not have study on Tuesday. But just realize, if there's a day that Jesus is going to come back, it's probably on the Festival of Trumpets when the trumpet blast would go, and that's next Monday. Okay, so this is the end of Exodus, is creating a space for God. Well, if you think about Egypt, right, what's God pulling them out of, right? Well, first of all, physically, they don't even own their bodies. They're slaves in Egypt. They don't even own themselves, right? They don't have a space to worship God. The gods in Egypt, well, there's any number of gods in Egypt, a whole pantheon of gods. So God is going to take that from, hey, you're used to, a, you're used to having all kinds of gods, and I'm going to make it just one god. And then, of course, as a slave, what do you do? Well, you work all day, 24-7, 365. There's no time off. And you notice when God institutes the Sabbath, even slaves and animals get the day off. It's really important. They're coming right out of that slavery. And we'll see more of that tonight when God talks about servanthood. But this is the movement, right? From slavery to having a space for God and the indwelling of God. And of course, Again, like I said, we, we call that redemption. God's redeeming us. Now, just in case, you know, we're, we don't want to miss this, what's the entire story of the Bible? Right? The entire story of the Bible. Well, the retire, entire story of the Bible is also redemption. How does the Bible begin? The Bible begins in a garden. Gone Aden the Garden of Eden. What's there? Well, it's the presence of God, dwelling with the people of God, in God's place. Paradise is a word. Paradise is a Persian word. It means a walled garden, a sacred enclosure. So it's God's sacred space and his presence. Um, paradise, also similar to the Hebrew word for orchard, which is pards. So it's a uh, they're at least related. That's how the Bible opens, right? And of course, Adam and Eve get kicked out. Everything falls apart. But what's the end of the story? Well, it's the same thing. It's, it's Revelation 21 and 22. The garden is back. The, the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. God and his people are once again going to dwell together. That's what God wants. The presence of God with the people of God, the place of God. So the, the Bible itself is bracketed by these, uh, the idea of God's presence, God's people, God's place. In fact, don't turn there, uh, but I just want to read it aloud. Just listen to what Revelation is saying. This is Revelation 21, so we're at the very end of the story. This, by the way, I found a new um, translation. It's called the New Heart English Bible. That's what that N-H-E-B is. So I've been using that one. Okay, but listen to Revelation. Listen to what John hears. I heard a loud voice 
from the throne, saying, Look, the tabernacle of God is with humans, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the story of the Bible. The presence of God in the place of God with the people of God. And what do we call that whole process? Going from Eden all the way to the New Jerusalem, we call it redemption. So Exodus is a little mini picture of redemption. And of course, part of God's plan of redemption is Jesus. He's the Redeemer. He's the Son who's going to go out and bring humanity back into the Father's house. He's rescuing us. This is what we are now blessed with, is to be part of that redemption process. So, okay, part of the reason I, I, I'm, I'm going to harp on this is because when we read the commandments, we have to read them through the proper lens of what is Exodus showing us? Slavery to presence of God. Okay, so uh, let me think. Let me look at my sheet one real quick. All right, I'm still on number one. I'm on like part three of number one. Because there's one other aspect we looked at with when we read Exodus that really brings it home powerfully for us and is important to do. So on, you can read Exodus on two different levels. You can read Exodus on what would be called the plain. This would be the simple reading or surface reading or the historical reading. And I think that's how most Christians read the book of Exodus. There's some wonderful documentaries that talk about the historical aspects of Exodus, uh, looking at probable ways things happened, looking at the time frame that it happened, and even the place that it happened, if you, if you, I know many of you have seen that one about Mount Sinai likely being in Saudi Arabia. So there's some wonderful stuff about the historical physical, and that's one way we can read it. But you can also read it spiritually. It's a story of redemption, and it matches humanity's redemption. It matches our own rede redemption. So for instance, it begins with slavery. So we start there. And then you say, okay, well, what happens? Well, well, we need a lamb, right? So the lamb, the Passover happens. The, the blood of the lamb goes on the doorpost. The spirit of death sees the blood, passes over your house. You're rescued from death. And it's part of the deliverance process is a lamb. They go through a water type event, a water crossing event. You're passing through the waters to a new beginning. It's a rebirth. They're born again into a new creation on the other side of the water. Slaves on one side, nation of Israel on the other. So there's a water event. Then we have, oh, we talked about, now you're on the journey, right? You're journeying through something that we noted is called the wilderness. And the word for wilderness comes from the word in the Hebrew word for word. So what's the wilderness? It's the place you learn to hear God. And that is so true to life. When, when, when things are going wonderful, it's not easy to hear God. But if you happen to enter into the wilderness of life, the loss of a loved one, a sickness, a loss of a job, 
some natural disaster that creates a wilderness, in a sense, where you're stripped of many of the things, you can hear God. Why? Because the words wilderness and the word for word are related. So it's the place that we go to hear God. That's why God takes them to the wilderness. But walking through the wilderness, you have to keep focus on God. So we get that great story where Moses, they get attacked by the Amalekites, and Moses raises up his staff. And when they look up and they see the staff and it points to God, they, they're winning the battle. And when Moses lowers his hands and they look down, they're no longer looking up to God. They're losing the battle. And oh, by the way, let me back that up. That, uh, that staff that he's holding up, Moses builds an altar. He calls it the Lord, my banner. And the word for banner, Ness. And what we noted was that idea of Ness, something lifted up, something conspicuous, something that points you to the God from whom you get your power, is also what Jesus ends up being. He's our banner. So as we walk through the wilderness of life, we have to keep our orientation upward towards Jesus. And when we're in spiritual battles or battles here, we have to rely on the power of God, keep our eyes focused upward on Jesus rather than all the problems that can um, consume us here. Okay, then they go to a mountain, and that mountain, we talked to on, on a couple different um, lessons, that mountain is, in the ancient world, that's the point where heaven and earth meet. So it makes sense that that's where God is meeting them. That's where God's going to deliver the covenant. And then from there, now they're going to have to build a place, a space for God to dwell. And the last 15 chapters is all about building that tabernacle, the space for God to dwell. So that's the historical physical that we see in the story. And then you say, well, well, wait a minute. Now, do I have to go back to Egypt to recreate all this, to literally do this to experience the presence of God? And the answer, of course, is no. Because what we do with the Bible is we abstract it to a metaphor that we, that we walk in. And so this journey resembles the spiritual journey of a, of a, of a Christian, of a believer, right? Aren't we slaves? Don't we start out enslaved to something? our sin, to the worldly ways, to being, you know, burdened by foolishness. We're slaves. And, and oh, by the way, we realize one day that the totalitarian Pharaoh is me. He's the one who won't let me go when I'm like, I wish I could quit that bad habit. That's like Paul saying, I, I know what I want to do, but I just can't do it. My, I won't let myself go. So you realize, oh, I'm the totalitarian Pharaoh. So what do we need? Well, we need a lamb. Aren't we covered in the lamb? And in the, aren't we covered in the blood of the lamb? It's God's Passover lamb. Jesus died on Passover. That we would be delivered. So we have a Passover lamb. It's amazing. And covered in that blood, we are then delivered. And then what happens? Well, we have, we have a water event, right? We have a... a we go through the, the baptismal waters, and there's a born again uh, in, in a, on the other side, a new birth, a new creation. 
That's our baptismal ritual. But now we have to walk with God. So we need a banner. We need something raised up that we can see, that we can set our sights on as we walk. And that's that, uh, that nez, that Jesus is raised up so that the whole world can't miss him. We have uh, the, the wonderful metaphor of the mountain, that the mountain is a spiritual journey. We ha- our whole walk is to ascend the mountain. Uh, at the base of the mountain is foolishness and the delusion of the world. You ascend the mountain towards wisdom, and you have gain insight from God so I can clearly see the nature of God. I can clearly see the nature of humanity. I can clearly understand the commandments and how to serve the world around me. And then, of course, we have to create our own space for God. So you can see the historical physical to the spiritual is it's right there. It becomes a metaphor for the way that our spiritual journey is. And I would argue that all of us still need to create a space in time, a physical space, a spiritual space, make sure that we're not following other gods, gods of money or wealth or fame or looks or any of that stuff. People still have the tendency to fall into that. So you can see how powerful this story is if we know the whole scope of the story. How even our Christian communities can be places where the presence of God dwells, not only us as individuals, but within community. So, okay, that was, we've done that a couple times, but it's worth repeating because it helps us understand the scope of the whole, of the whole story and what uh, is, is what the purpose God has, what's being accomplished here by bringing those people out. So now we're up to number two. <laughs> that, was all, that was all a review. And this has to do with, I, so what I want to do is, if we take this line of thinking about Exodus, that the goal of the Exodus is the presence of God, then we have to think about how do we read the commandments that are in Exodus? How do we read uh, these few chapters that are next on our list and put them in the correct lens or the, the correct framework? So what I want you to think about is if this scroll represents Exodus and this telescope represents what's the lens that we're going to look at that? Because the lens actually matters for the way that we think about the, the commandments or interpret them. And right now, I would argue, the typical lens for a modern Western Christian, and this is on your handout at num- on number two, is that of ultimate individual salvation. So our concern is to spread the good news and that people are saved. And that's one aspect of it. But then you have the, the whole other aspect of building Christian community and character development and all the other things that go into a Christian lifestyle. But for modern Western, the tendency is to be individual salvation. It's kind of our lens that we read the Old Testament. So, for instance, I will often say to people, maybe a suggestion, that there are commandments in the Old Testament that you have to follow. And one response that I often get is something like, no, we're under grace, not law, or um, something like that. 
And what happens is their lens is only thinking about salvation. They assume that what I'm telling them is you have to follow something to be saved. But that's not what I'm saying, because God saved the Israelites, then talked about building their community and the rules to follow, just like he does with us. When you become a Christian, you can't continue to do whatever you want. As a new Christian, people have to often radically change their their ways because their old ways have to be shed. That's what the commandments in Exodus are about. It's about creating something new for the presence of God. And I will argue that many of them, if not all of them, when we can understand the context of them, absolutely apply to us. Now, it doesn't mean that God, it doesn't mean we lose our salvation, but it's, it's about the, the fabric of society and what happens when these things begin to break down. So that's how modern Western people tend to view this. And I want to I help to change that lens, to say, let's read the book of Exodus as if it's not about salvation, because it's not, they're already saved, but it's about entering a covenant relationship with God. And that we have to then adopt a lifestyle that, and I put this on the, your, the back one, uh, I think it's number three, where we create an ordered society for the presence of God to dwell, or an ordered community. That the goal of the commandments, and that's what we have to keep in mind, is the lens has to be the goal, the presence of God to dwell. Well, then we can't have injustices, and we can't have judges taking bribes, because that distorts the fabric of society. And we have to fight against all of that. And what we'll see is most of these commandments in Exodus are through the lens of, of society, of the, the presence of God. Yes, as individuals, we're involved with that. But I want you to notice the societal level. That's one of the main things of this uh, well, the whole lesson of Exodus, um, because, well, okay, let's keep going. So I hope this makes sense. We have to, I, all I want to do is adjust from what our typical Western lens is down to, okay, let's read the book, read the commands, thinking about the goal of the presence of God. Okay. So for instance, if someone says, well, we can't keep the Torah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We can't keep that because we don't have a tabernacle any longer, right? It's the community's responsibility to build the tabernacle. So the tabernacle's not there. The priests have a whole set of rules. Well, I'm not a priest, so I don't even, I don't have to come under those rules. So if you start whittling down all the, all the commandments in the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, you go, oh, well, there's, I actually have a handful, and these are the ones that we generally will follow anyways in a Christian life. So I think sometimes we overreact to the suggestion of, hey, pay attention to those commandments, which is what I, which is really what I wanted people to do. So, for instance, I want you to think about the commandments that God's giving us. The first thing is, is they're set in the establishment of a covenant, a covenant relationship. That's actually what's happening at Mount Sinai. It's the structure of the, of the text of Exodus is the same as an ancient covenant. And God 
As many people think God's a despotic leader who just wants people who blindly follow him, that's not what a covenant is. A covenant is a relationship. And so, God, so Exodus is showing us that formation of covenant relationship. It's like a marriage. Each party in a marriage, they have responsibilities towards that marriage, yes? And you carry out your responsibilities not because you feel your spouse is despotic, but because you love your spouse. Right? Are we allowed to do anything we want in a marriage? No. That's covenant. That's the relationship that's being built. Um, God, if you don't know this, in Exodus, in, in Jewish thought, is considered, this is, a, this is a marriage, a wedding ceremony. God is the bridegroom. Israel's the bride. And God says, will you be mine? And they say, yes. And then God says, okay, we're going we're to establish a relationship. And it's the same metaphor that the New Testament uses. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And this is what really, when Jewish, you talk to Jewish people about the Sabbath, it's a date night. It's a date night with your spouse. You've been busy all week. Aren't you excited to spend time with your spouse on Sabbath? Tell them all about your week. That's how they view a Sabbath, not some obligation that I have to keep. Now, you could make it tyrannical and with all these rules. That's why Jesus is like, no, 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 it's created so you can spend time with, with God. So it's in the lens of a covenant that we get these commandments. And I will repeat, it's post-salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with everything in our Christian walk after we've been saved. So, okay, that's number one. There's a covenant being established. Two, as I'll point out, many of these um, commandments are at the level of society, meaning you may not be engaged in actually enforcing the commandment or making sure that the commandment uh, is administered. It might be at a level higher than you, but you're have to, you are responsible for knowing the rules. God wants everybody to know the rules. So I'm going to give you a, a, a rather obscure example that I'll pick up with next week, but I think it'll help you understand what I mean by it's happening at the societal level. So let me give you at least one example. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 21. This is where we'll be this week and then next week. It's Exodus 21, verse 28. And like I said, it's obscure, but I think you'll get the point. So Exodus 21 and 28, this command is a whole section about animals. If you own an animal that has the ability to kill another human being, what are the responsibilities? So they play out like theoretical situations and then say, okay, if there's, a, if there's this theoretical situation, then society has to take care of it, right? We don't, not the individuals. They don't go battle it out. They don't seek vengeance. It'll be administered by somebody else, a judge or the leaders in the community whatever community setting. So it has to do um, with animals, and it's in, it's in a section that's all about personal injury, kind of like uh, tort law is what it is, really, tort law that we have here in the U.S. So it just says this, If a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the bull shall not be held responsible. So we've got a situation that occurred because everybody owns these water buffaloes or bulls. And now you've got to figure out 
who's going to administer that? So you don't, if you don't even own a bull, this doesn't apply to you unless the bull kills, well, kills you or a family member. But notice it starts with an if. So it's giving you a hypothetical situation. If a bull gores a, a man or woman to death, the bull shall surely be stoned. And this is where the community comes in. Because if we understand stoning, who carries out the stoning? The community. A judge will make sure that it's proper, that it's going to be administered, but the community is involved in the stoning, not the person on the injured side. So it's a um, very important to notice. We've moved out of, we have an injury, but we're moving it now into the realm of the bureaucracy, if there is such a thing in Israel, that says, okay, we'll take care of it over here. Okay? Then, what's even more interesting, the owner of the bull shall not be held responsible. Because they would say, in this case, it was an accident of an animal. But we'll see next week. What happens to a person who owns an animal that could kill and the person's irresponsible with their animal? Yeah, now we've got something. It'll go on to say, hey, if you have a bull who's gored someone before and you didn't maintain that, uh-oh, now the responsibility's on you. And I think what we could say today is, do you have a dog? Do you have a dog that could kill somebody? Because we know this happens in America. We regularly see dog attacks. And what do we do to an animal that has killed a human being? We do exactly what the Bible says. Now, it's administered by a bureaucrat, say, say you know, animal control, but the dog is normally put down. My point in the whole thing is, this really has nothing to do with you as an individual unless you happen to be in that situation. And then you, you might be in that situation, but it's going to be taken care of by society. These are rules to create a society that's fair and just and um, a place for human beings to flourish. And things are going to happen in society. Okay, we'll do more of this next week. Because as you look at them, you'll notice how so much of it really might not ever have to do with you. Yet... If you're in those situations today, as a Christian, you are still obligated to act responsibly towards that community. Okay, that's just one example. Go back and read chapters 21, 22, and 23, and you'll see all of these um, in the text. The next one is that God, uh, he wants everyone to be a kingdom of priests, which in the ancient world, the priests were the ones that were educated in the law. Well, God wants an entire nation of people who are educated in the law. That's how we are here. We're supposed to understand our laws and have responsibility in the community to obey them. We've gotten used to that. You drive the speed limit. You don't rob banks. You, you know, whatever it is. And that's where that idea of the kingdom of priests, they're all educated. All, everybody is supposed to know the law and agree to it and have the responsibility to follow that. And oh, by the way, even if it never happens to you, to help the leadership and help the community when something does happen, because if justice in a community starts to go, if it gets perverted, it's all downhill. Um, okay, I'm, I'm noticing the time, and I, I'm going to have to go a little bit faster here. 
I put this on your notes. So when we tend to think of the, uh, the Old Testament and these commandments, we tend to think, again, hey, I'm under grace, you know, don't have to follow those rules. But it's like, well, you kind of do. The holiness rules. See, these are all, Exodus is not holiness rules. Exodus are, are community rules. If you, want, if you want to look at holiness rules, how, uh, how do I approach God as an unholy person? You got to go to Leviticus. Leviticus is where we find that's the book of holiness. And that whole book is about how do we approach God? How do, how do we approach a holy God? In fact, I put this on your handout. Um, the moment you get into Leviticus, you will find the word for offering. Make an offering to God. Right? Because the whole book is how do you as an individual approach God? And in Hebrew, the word for offering is a word korban. Sometimes spelled, people spell it with a Q. Korban or korban. That's the noun. That's an, an offering. That's derived from a verb, karab. And the verb karab means to come near, to approach to enter into. And this is what you're doing. The offering is the mechanism that brings you closer to God. First, God does it. It's a real sacrifice or a real offering. Later, though, we're going to abstract that to where our offerings are our life. It's our heart. You know, like uh, David says, you know, God is kind of tired of the sacrifices. He wants a, he wants a humble person and a, a contrite spirit and a humble heart or something like that. It's in Psalm 51, but that's our offering to God. But the idea is, has come near. So Leviticus is the one about approaching God and holiness issues. But Exodus? No, Exodus is about the community. By the way, when Jesus says, the repent for the kingdom has come near, karab. And who's the offering so that we can enter into a relationship with God? Well, Jesus is. He becomes our offering, the sacrifice that opens that door for us. Okay. Um, that's where you want to go. I just wanted to point out the difference between Exodus and Leviticus. And then finally, let's go here. It, this, this is the final thing on your handout. It's number four. From Exodus chapter 21 to 23 is what scholars call the Book of the Covenant. And the reason they call it that is because eventually in chapter 24 of Exodus, Moses is going to read this out loud and the people are going to say, yes, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. It's the ratification ceremony of a covenant. And so when we look at these chapters, 21, 22, and 23, it's just a listing of commandments. And so I, what I did was I broke them down by the topics. So I'll just walk through these real quick. It starts out, and this is real interesting. Look, at the, they just came out of slavery in Egypt, and the very first thing that God's going to put in this book of the covenant is the treatment of servants. Now, the Hebrew word for servant is the same word for slave, so it's, it's contextual. Moses is called the slave of God, but he's a servant of God. It's probably more like indentured servants. But how do you treat your servants? 
We want to have a society where everybody's treated with dignity. That's what it starts off. Then you have personal injury, tort law, just like we do here in America. What happens if this? What if someone breaks into your house? What if, you know, a, a dog attacks you? It's tort law. And you can see in our laws and Exodus, it's all the same types of nuances that govern these situations. Then you have a property law, just like we have in America, right? The, the foundation to a, a free uh, people is the ability to own property, including yourself, because throughout history, we've sold human beings as property. So there's property law. Then you get a whole list of social responsibilities, justice and mercy. And now you see, you know, how, how not to pervert the justice system, things like that. Every time one of these are violated, it disrupts the fabric of society. That's why they're so important to God. We all have the responsibility. And you may have a right, but I have a responsibility. And then my right is your responsibility. So there's a whole section on social responsibility. And then you get right to the 15 chapters, Exodus 25 to 40. And that's the building of the tabernacle, the space for God. Just right there, you can see they're all aiming towards one thing. And that's, of course, God's presence dwelling among the people. But they have to get their act together first. And I think maybe because most we've grown up in the West, we've grown up with laws, we're used to having a structured system of laws and a system of justice, that we don't really think about Exodus in this, in this manner. Well, what if we had no laws? Where would we get them from? Well, we would need some divine guidance to help us put together our community. And, you know, by the time Jesus comes around, you don't have to reiterate this. You've got Jewish law on one hand and Roman law on the other. So the New Testament's not a book of law because there's already established law. But here, they're a gaggle coming out of uh, Egypt, and now you need rules for the community. So, okay. Um, quick review, because I'm watching the time. Quick review. So, the story of Exodus, very important that we read the commandments through that lens so that we understand the goal being the presence of God. This is, if you form a church, one of the first things you do is put all the rules down and you know where people, because if your church order breaks down, the whole place begins to collapse. The presence of God can no longer dwell in that church if it's chaotic. So there's, there's got to be established order for the community. And then if we understand that to be the goal of Exodus, well, then now we read those commandments and we say, ah, I see, this is all about society. It's about creating uh, what Jesus would say, the kingdom of God on earth. It's the reign of God here in our communities. And then through that, we get justice and order and all of the things that come out of that. And that's our responsibility as we walk in our Christian walk. So I always encourage Christians, read those commands, see the wisdom behind them, see how they might be breaking down in our own society, why it's so important that God gives us those particular commands uh, to maintain a, the fabric of society. So, okay, that's 
that's what we did. I hope that helps at least give a little bit different lens. That's my goal tonight is really to, to help people have a little bit different lens in reading the Old Testament. That it's not all about salvation, but very much about our walk. Even, Levit- even the Leviticus, the, the approaching God is not from the standpoint of someone who doesn't know God. They're already saved. Now it's, hey, I'm in my Christian walk. Things have gone off the rails. Now I got to get back towards God. Well, we have to do the same things as Leviticus. You repent, you confess your sin. There's some sort of sacrifice that you're going to put forth in your life that brings you back into relationship with God. It's the same thing. God hasn't really changed, but now we have Jesus as that ultimate sacrifice that brings us back in as, as that offering. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson, and that it helps you gain a deeper understanding of the biblical text. Fig Tree Ministries is an educational nonprofit, and we're 100% listener-supported. If our lessons have been valuable to you in your study of the Bible, we ask that you support our work with a financial donation. Whether it's a one-time donation or you become a monthly supporter, we appreciate your generous gift. Donations are easy through our website, figtreeteaching.com, and you can become a regular supporter for as little as $5 per month. We've included a link to our donation page in the description section below. Online giving through our donation partner, DonorBox, is easy and secure. By setting up your DonorBox account, you'll be able to easily track your donations. We thank all of our donors for their generous gifts, and as you go into the world, may the words of number six be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you, The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom.